1: Same words can come from two different people and it can be extremely attractive, fun, and flirty or or creepy based on Episode number
2: seventy something. Four. Four. Here we are. Fire away. I watched John Adams. Okay. The 15 year old hbo series okay with paul giamatti and there's a lot of it because i've been into the history stuff but uh one line stuck with me it was paul giamatti as john adams second president of the united states talking about his sons now his first son who he took away from his family brought to europe and then sent on his own to russia when he was like 13 years old mm. became the sixth president john quincy adams mm. but was like grew up alone as a foreign diplomat page basically uh his other two of his other sons became alcoholics and i believe one died from it hmm. and uh just according to the show which is i'm sure dramatized john adams disowned him but i looked it up in his writings never spoke fondly of his sons or like when he wrote to them was like never emotionally invested despite the fact that he spent years living in europe and barely wrote to his family he was never uh, a loving father you might say
1: john adams was or john was? adams okay. was not so but
2: he the did line not have a loving dad and he was not a oh, no, dad. no, no I don't know about uh, okay. so John Quincy Adams, uh, the, the whole show is about John Adams. He's already an adult. It doesn't show his his parents at all. So Got I'm it. not sure what his his upbringing was like. But the line, which he may or may not have said, doesn't matter, was that uh, about his son, he had every advantage. And obvious to us living in 2020, we can look at that and be like, what do you mean every advantage? You basically abandoned him. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah. I mean like raised he was raised with tutors. Uh, and of course he became an alcoholic, right? But it did get me thinking that we have the same idea today when we see like Instagram people that have everything and nonetheless are criminals or miserable or want to kill themselves, and we still have that same foolish impulse to be like, "You had every advantage." It's like clearly not, (laughs) like clearly not. His son was an alcoholic. This person is a is a fameaholic, and they're all super depressed. Just I guess it
1: made me. no, people say that. The Avicii killed himself. And people go, it's so, it's so crazy. He had everything. He had everything. Like, apparently not the things that make you want to stay alive. Yes, yes. Could be health, could be family, could be close friends that aren't users. A, I don't know what it is. A brain circuit
2: that doesn't tend towards sure. depression. It's just so we we think <laughs> in the face of evidence, yeah. we're convinced we know what is everything. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? People will kill themselves and we'll be like, he had everything. <laughs> yeah. What a shame. Uh And it's just so funny to me that as a society, we're so bound into the idea of what we think we know makes for a good life in the face of stark evidence that people literally kill themselves having those things. But they also tend, you know, not to kill themselves in poorer countries. Not saying that you want to be poor, but it's an interesting question. Yeah
1: why, why do we have all the suicides? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, but, Dude, you know, this is like what I've been trying to figure out. I yeah. love books like the How of Happiness, The Science of Happiness, mm-hmm. The Book of Joy. I I think it's, we have clearly been raised with a misunderstanding of what makes us happy, you mm-hmm. know, and that's not necessarily to blame for just our, our parents, but like movies, society, school, friend groups. We have completely, if there's a formula for happiness, we have completely gotten lost in terms of what the variables are, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And yeah, I think it's a fascinating question. It's like, what actually makes you happy? Yeah, I don't, I, it's
2: fascinating. It's just fascinating. And then I we've talked about this in my own life. I continue to pursue things that I have evidence don't make me happy. You know, mm-hmm. we've talked about, oh, let's grow the business. Like, why? Like, the last 30% didn't matter, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Like, why would I want that? Oh, let's get the podcast larger. Why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Taking the channel So from, that someone can make a mean video so about that us. Somebody, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, fascinating i fall into the trap we all do and i'm just it was a mental note to when you see someone that is suffering and they happen to be stunningly beautiful or have something that you aspire to yeah. for me to update my thing and go, oh wow being stunningly beautiful is doesn't inoculate you against that mm-hmm. and might not even help at
1: all and might even take you away yeah i'm not kidding like <laughs> let's say you have a kid i'm not convinced the best thing for that kid is to be as attractive as possible yes i think there's probably like a bell curve you want them to be a little bit better looking than average <laughs> probably you know what i mean maybe yeah like you're looking for like all right you, you blend in but like not bad <laughs> yes and I, people I don't hand their, you everything on a happiness. silver platter yeah well no. also yeah let's say you're beautiful so you get everything comes easy to you but you don't have to develop certain skills or mm-hmm. certain. Uh, toughness or mental toughness or ability to create joy internally and now all of a sudden the only way you know how to get happiness is external validation okay then you move to a city like LA now you're surrounded by people who all had that same upbringing in their small town and you have to compete for external validation instead of just being someone who found a different way to be happy besides the approval of others in terms of your appearance sure Mm I'm not I'm not certain that the better looking the better in LA at the
2: upper extremes I'm sure that it gets in the way now, I'm not saying that that one would wish to be born less than average attractiveness, but what you see at the top levels is it becomes all-consuming. Yep. It, is, a, it a, is your diet, your lifestyle, your social circle, your this, and it puts you around people with that same belief. So you can't even break out of that
1: vain circle that that this is all that matters i I would bet ideal is like one standard deviation above (laughs) the mean you know what i mean like it's like you're just clearly on the right of the bell curve but you're not so far that it defined who you are yeah that would be my guess we we spoke you and i
2: yesterday to a lawyer and one of the quite we were talking about okay because when we made this business it was like okay half of this non-existent entity is yours half of this non-existent entity is is mine and so we were going through all of the what happens if one of us dies what happens Mm -hmm. if this and one of the questions is, if one of us dies, should your family get it? Like, how much do you want to guarantee to your family? Mm. And we were, I was like, and you were like, none. <laughs> like, yeah. Not the one, I don't have a family, but also
1: I will have some life insurance if, if I get a yeah, family. Yeah, that was my whole thing was like, if I want to take care of my family, I will get life insurance. Yeah, they, I don't need them owning half of and getting to decide half of what mm-hmm. happens with a business I created 20 years ago. Sure. Like now you and my wife or my children are negotiating what Charisma on Command should do. Why, how could it possibly
2: this is my view how could it be good to say i have a son to live in the shadow of let's say that my i am a fortune of a dead father <laughs> with a fortune that i don't have yet but like let's say that i did and it was substantial that he never had to do anything mm-hmm. uh and just had this money and depression and means now to go buy a bunch of expensive drugs and no drive to do anything because we all look at our own lives and we look at the difficult parts and go man that really shaped who i was but i wouldn't wish that on anyone else mm. and it's like why <laughs> if that was if that was a culminating tra- trying it difficult experience why wouldn't you want that for someone else i look back and i thank god in a weird way that i had so much student loan debt mm. because i look at the period of my life when i was accumulating that debt and when i was living like i was rich and i did nothing (laughs) i I was i was drinking five nights a week hanging out goofing off and it was only when i was like oh my gosh i owe a hundred thousand dollars and have to work a terrible job that i'm not terrible one that i don't like in order to pay it back that was when i started behaving in such a way that even better things could happen than drinking five nights a week
1: well and also i think one you don't want to live for good stories and two this isn't true of everyone but like some of the best memories we have is are you like are living in a closet in a yeah. four bedroom apartment in brazil that we turned into a six bedroom and then airbnb being the closet sleeping on the couch sure because you needed the money but having having the time of our lives and also it's a great to, to like have come through it on the other side it's a great thing to look back on and be like all right well then that clearly that's not a death sentence you yeah. know what i mean to be negative negative ninety thousand net worth with no income mm-hmm. was like a peak experience in your life, which yeah. probably helps with your fear of poverty relative to somebody who has never had it and therefore thinks it's a death sentence and therefore can't quit their job to start a business. You and know I, I mean? want to be clear, like I was never impoverished.
2: The nice thing, and I think that you want, there's a Goldilocks zone that mm-hmm. that culture teaches you to aim far above. But the Goldilocks zone for me was, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I would not starve to death and I wouldn't have to sleep outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I also knew that my actions would not cause anyone I loved to starve, to starve, or have yep. to sleep outside. That said, I, yeah, renting out my bed, sleeping on wooden floors with blankets, or you know what yeah, I mean, yeah. like it wasn't wasn't Dude, torture. I, had, I was inside and climate-controlled
1: bedroom with with five other friends, mm-hmm. and then you moved in and slept on a cot on my on the floor next yeah, to yeah. my bed. Like, and this it, it's uh no, and and t- 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 extreme poverty is bad. I'm not I'm not poverty to, is bad. That's not, not poverty. To, I'm what not I, I, <laughs> yeah. trying to diminish people's experience. Like, yeah, if yeah. you don't know where your meal is coming from, if you feel unsafe, mm-hmm. that's all bad. And I think even everything I've studied with happiness would say there is a level that you need in terms of certainty of safety, shelter, food, water, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not saying that if you don't have access to those things, buck up, kid. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you were sleeping on the floor on a cot and we're like unclear if your rent being $400 for my roommates who didn't like you being there was going to impact your life or not. Mm hmm. But it was great. It was fine. Whatever. We figured it out. Like yeah. I think that. So once you get above that safety level of wealth, um, yes, yeah, some of the best memories and also like most growth comes from the desire to get out of the hmm. lower level of of I can't afford anything and into creating something. Sure. You know I, I, mean?
2: I suspect that's one of the hardest parts of being a parent is allowing because this last generation everybody talks didn't get that had the helicopter parent that insisted they got mm-hmm. the trophy for fifth place you know that that intervened on their behalf when they were being bullied at school the the desire to jump in and make it smooth sailing for your kid i can imagine is just
1: overwhelming yeah yeah and well i had smooth sailing but somewhere somewhere in my brain was just burrowed a seed of like if you are a do nothing you have to hate yourself well you not, know what i mean i mean you got beat up on occasion right like it wasn't yeah yeah i, I guess i get
2: confused on what it's it gone it's be... gone even more now we were in the history of the world we're the some of the most coddled people ever right you and i yes but there's been even more since yeah, I our I generation I, got, I probably
1: got beat up like six times in school from no broken bones third grade uh yeah. you know junior year in high school and something. there were no so broken like six, bones six fights Mm -hmm. of which i maybe won one Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it wasn't wasn't looking good maybe that's why i got an mma yeah uh wanted to win (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) it sucks man um so yeah i guess i I wasn't like uh i'm not a trust fund baby there's such a big spectrum from like growing up in the hood in danger i'm as far from that as you can get Mm -hmm. but then i guess there's like the billionaire parent where you never i'm
2: speaking to the people who like us are talking to lawyers to ensure continuity of the legacy which is, in my opinion, you've gone too far. Mm. When you have generated generational wealth, and you could see this, it doesn't, it doesn't help people. Yep. Like they they live in these shadows of of what of what the people who came before them did with this implicit assumption that they'll never break out, they'll always be there. And then they often, because of that, have to go hard the other way and just do underperform, you know, nothing, find a way to not give back. And that's not true of everybody, but I'm It was just such an interesting conversation when the lawyer was talking to us, being like, you guys are crazy. You're going to have a family one day. I was like, I get it. I know. And I really just want to make sure that they have enough for a solid food, shelter, public education and not millions of dollars should I be gone. And even if I'm there, then that's a question. Let's say that you're earning like lots of money. I'm not saying I'm going to be earning millions of dollars, but let's say that you do. Do you fly your kids first class on vacation to the Bahamas? Like, I I don't even know how one makes those decisions. Hmm. Uh, maybe, you know, I haven't thought about really having a kid, but yeah, I don't know. What do you do? Do you take them to all the nice restaurants all the time and show them the greatest things before they're 10 years old and have that just be an expectation of what the world is? I have no idea. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
1: I have put zero thought into how to raise a kid. <laughs> okay. I like we can move along. That, of all the books I've ever read yeah. about yeah. fitness and wealth creation and happiness, uh, child rearing has never cracked the list. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, truly no idea. Um, but anyway, can I segue on here though? Sure. So speaking of people with their baseline needs, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who donated to our charity water campaign yeah, so man. far. It's awesome. We, uh, we said we were going to match, and so we just sent in $45,000 to Charity Water because we had $45,000 donated by people who watch Chris on Command and who watch this podcast, and I think that's awesome. So I just want to say thank you guys because that does go to helping 10-year-old kids not get mouth tumors because mm-hmm. they're drinking dirty water. It helps people have a baseline quality of life that lets them live and pursue mm-hmm. goals and and uh, achieve uh the high what's the higher highest part of maslow's hierarchy of needs it's not fulfillment. self-actualization yeah Yeah. so it's awesome thank you everyone if people want to keep donating we're going to match again at the end of the year so you can go to charitywater.org charisma Mm -hmm. but i just wanted to shout out because i wrote the check to match i was like oh man 45 grand from from our viewers and listeners it's awesome yeah no you guys are awesome thank you everybody the uh that is
2: certainly on the side of poverty that is too far yeah that is not romantic that i do not wish upon people uh or my kids or or anybody so that one is so obviously to help if you if if you can and if you're moved to do so um this is a huge segue pfizer oh i wanted to talk
1: about pfizer. vaccine
2: the dude the best
1: corona's over
2: i gotta stop saying that sorry <laughs> i can get <getting> demonetized leave <laughs> no, that out you're fine i think you could say it now i don't know i uh, yeah, well, Corona's safe now Corona's safe now i mean in more ways than one so the question that you and I have been discussing is: This comes out on the Friday. The election was on a, what Monday or Tuesday? Yep, Tuesday. Uh, clearly, these trials had been going on. They could have hinted at it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good news would have been good news for Donald Trump because yep. he was in the debate saying we're weeks away. And I remember listening
1: being like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, no way. No. And it was the biggest weapon against him was the Corona, how you handled yep. it and the fact that it's going to be around for a while. We need a president who will handle it. And then an American well. company
2: hasn't broken through yet. Yeah. So they clearly waited till after the election. Yes. I don't think there's any question that that they couldn't have talked about this seven days prior Absolutely. and had it
1: perhaps a dramatic influence on no. The and my questions immediately were it did they do this because it makes them the most money to wait till after the election did they do it because they have an agenda where they wanted biden to win mm-hmm. i was very confused about why they waited do you have any insight because i sure do <laughs> okay so i went digging <laughs> and in the middle of august that so c- just so people know ceos of public companies can't uh decide to trade their stocks day of because it's to day prevent of what they have anything. To prevent insider trading. Day of news? Day of... If I want to sell stock, I have to announce it like seven weeks prior. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So if I <laughs> so if Chris Monkman's public and I want to sell, I cannot just wait till the stock goes up and then be like, hey, sell everything. I have to announce in a public document I Understand when I will sell. And that is to prevent insider trading. So on August, I forget, I think it was like 9th or 19th, the CEO of Pfizer announced that he would be selling over half of his shares on november 9th wow and the day they made the announcement was november 9th so my new hedge fund that i'll be starting (laughs) is going to comb through public documents (laughs) and anytime the ceo plans to sell over half of his shares we buy call options for the week that it happens so your hypothesis there is
2: that in august he knew that one the election is happening so let's wait till after the election and two that's, that's pretty much as soon as I can stop. But he had indications that this vaccine was working, you think? I think that
1: he delayed the announcement until the day his stocks were set So you, to you're saying in August, he knew that this stuff was working, that that it had strong promise. Yes. But even beyond that, I'm saying I bet they could have announced on November 7th and his stock was set to sell November 9th. And so they waited. And they waited until November 9th to announce. But wait, why, you know. why wouldn't you do that? Why not take the bump? Because Pfizer's stock went up. And then came back down because the headline was. Oh, so he sold at the the like the, the day. If bump. you look at the twelve month high, let's say it's forty two dollars a share. Yeah, he sold for forty one dollars and ninety five cents, and they're now at thirty seven dollars. Oh
2: gosh, Those so might he, not be he the hit he numbers, hit like but... the peak on the announcement day, which then, unfortunately, reflects rather poorly
1: on his confidence in the so, this vaccine. Well, right. Because, well, here's why: because what happened was the vaccine announcement comes out; it's ninety percent effective. Oh my God, we're going to cure corona. Stock goes up. And then later, because there's details, the vaccine needs to be kept at a certain temperature to be effective. I think it's like negative 70 degrees. Wow. So you have to package it with dry ice and stuff. Which is expensive. Yeah. They just aren't sure how they'll do it. Like they don't need to wait for another vaccine. If this was 100% effective, they'd figure out how to transport it at the right temperature. Mm -hmm. But it might have an impact in terms of how far and wide it can be distributed. Maybe they'll have to share it with other pharmaceutical companies. It might have an impact just in terms of timing. Maybe we thought this was going to come out in January, but now we need an extra couple months to figure out distribution. Regardless, the big announcement was 90% effective. That happens November 9th, the day the CEO is set to sell 50% of his shares. Mm -hmm. And then the subsequent people digging in Occurs afterwards. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah. well, let's give us the details, release so the he, So he
2: likely knew a lot of this when he made his announcement. If not, he
1: got extremely lucky. The one thing I haven't <laughs> looked into, which I will, yeah. I will give him the benefit of the doubt, there is a world where the CEO sells the same number of shares every quarter. Hmm. So you start with a 1,000 shares. I understand. I understand. Then you get down to 900, 800, 700. And when you sell from 200 to 100, it looks like you sold 50% of your shares. Yeah. But really, you've been selling the same amount. That might be the case. I just didn't care to keep digging. Yeah. Um, but even if that's the case, for sure, there was some acknowledgement on his part that we should line up this announcement with the day I have already pre-committed to sell my selling shares.
3: Yeah.
2: That does, I, uh, presuming that it that it's not what you had talked about, which is this cascading effect of of sell offs, and it was a chosen I just to give thing. The
1: benefit out, it might be. Uh, I'm not. I'm not trying
2: to indict this guy. I'm just trying to say it does. Then, if you're, if you want to be in Pfizer. That means that you believe that that the stock is undervalued, which means that they might be the only people that can make a vaccine that the entire world needs mm-hmm. and they have a patent on it and can distribute it or at least license that patent. Uh, the fact that you would want to exit that company mm-hmm. isn't the best sign for
1: the profits of Pfizer and the value of this vaccine i'm not saying you know i mean almost any time a ceo sells a major amount of shares the shares go down because people say this guy doesn't have confidence in the Mm -hmm. company going forward Mm -hmm. great (laughs) (laughs) okay is it true i haven't looked is it true that cnn's website no longer has the death count on it i have no idea i saw that in our youtube comments but i didn't verify they were just like, "What a coincidence that now the Biden wins and blah blah." I was like, "I don't know." It's true. Yeah. I honestly, I wasn't checking CNN's website before to see if there ever was a death. So report. I, I can't, I can't verify that that either the no that's before I was just or asking after. You guys.
2: So this is a mildly, I, I, so this is mildly connected. Reinventing Organizations. I told you to check out, mm-hmm. and it's it's connected to the CEO selling off all of his shares. Mm-hmm. Really, to me, very interesting book. It, the premise is almost the most interesting part, and then mm-hmm. this the suggestions are intriguing the premise of reinventing organizations is that the way that humans band at any stage in human evolution reflects an underlying belief about human nature and a metaphor and uh the limitations of technology so you go back whatever 10,000 years well one you can't band together more than like a couple hundred people because communication is very difficult uh second you're very likely to have a strong tribal figurehead who is just powerful and when it comes to uh are we gonna have a meritocracy that hasn't even occurred to people yet it's mm-hmm. like it's gonna be me and then i choose my son mm-hmm. and then i'll decide up how the spoils go and you'll do what i say and if i want you out you're you're out so mm-hmm. that's that's one form of organization then with agriculture you get these sort of religious and military type organizations that are hierarchical with roles so you've got the pope you've got the bishops beneath them you've got the priests and the power Is not just in the individual who is the chief who can be killed and then somebody else can take that over it's uh you can ascend through these hierarchies uh by doing specific things and the power is not necessarily in the individual so it's in the role which tends to make for more stability Mm -hmm. because there's clear rules of succession you know even if that succession is dynastical and it's hereditary
1: uh Sure. If you're at the very bottom and you murder the pope, you're not becoming pope. You're not the pope. It's not. It's not like, <laughs> so there's less incentive to kill the pope. Exactly. Like, listen, if you kill the pope, an archbishop. Well, then, is then we just close. have to do the thing with the smoke,
2: and yeah. we vote. You know, and so we get less all that. Now. So now it's it becomes a more stable structure, but it still has clear understanding, which is the pope is the genius at the top. He's literally the the vicar of God. He's speaking with God's voice, yeah. and then so what he says goes. Yeah, and people beneath him have have uh, less authority until at the bottom, it's just the people who must you know it's it's the church people who have Mm -hmm. to listen to the latin reading of the bible and and trust that that's the case and basically do as they're told and tithe um that then evolves to what we are most familiar with in america today with which is meritocracy Mm -hmm. which is to say uh you can actually leap steps you can you know if you're good enough to get ahead very individualistic uh you still have nepotism in the system but it's a bad thing Mm -hmm. whereas before it's like of course my son is going to be the guy the the way to get ahead
1: is by achieving competing winning go ahead we recognize that you'll lose if you run an oil company and i run an oil company and you put your son in and i put the best person i have in Mm -hmm. to replace us we there's an understanding in society that i will beat you because Mm -hmm. i have the best guy which wasn't the case at one point it just Of course, the Suns will be the best person for the role. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And and I think accurately what it suggests is that part
2: of what allowed this type of an organization to exist is there's a ton of technological advancements. But one of them is the fact that machines began to exist Mm -hmm. and that machines formed a metaphor for how an organization can work. And you hear it, you know, inputs and outputs and cogs. And it's the entire thing that Karl Marx was talking about where people become – wrote, you know, how efficient can we make this guy at hammering this piece, passing it off to the next guy on the assembly line? So Mm -hmm. people then become alienated from their labor, whereas before in previous structures, they were more holistic. The priest had a relationship with people. It's like, no, now the priest, like, there's one priest for the cookie. (laughs) This hasn't happened in the church yet. And then one priest for the confession. And they like, it's just an assembly line thing. Highly efficient um, has created a lot of the things that we enjoy today. And what this book suggests is that that is a very limited way of organizing and that given human advancement and technology we are capable of a different metaphor which was the metaphor of an organism with big differences being that instead of having that hierarchical meritocratic nature where basically at the top you have the brain Mm-hmm. Um, all decisions need to flow through the C-suite, and then there's this cascading thing down. And there's some sensory inputs, like you can—it's you know, an open door policy. Feel free to come into my office, and then I'll make the decision mm-hmm. <laughs> about what happens. That you can distribute more power to the to the uh, what has traditionally been the bottom of the organization, and the top of the organization now is just in the coach role. Mm-hmm. Less authority becomes distributed, power becomes distributed. Concretely, this looks like anybody in the organization can start the process of hiring someone else. They can start the process of firing someone else by committee. Um, they can start, uh, they can do a huge purchase order. They can redefine their job and be like, I'm not really effective here on the factory floor. I'm going to go scout out new factories in Antarctica or whatever it is. So there's, there's obvious rules and uh, structures that need to be put in place so that it doesn't devolve into anarchy. But I thought it was super interesting because it really made me uh, reflect on how we do things and how most businesses do mm-hmm.
1: things that I think is, is messed up. So I think it sounds nice in theory. And I think that there's things about it that could probably improve a business, but I have two pushbacks Mm -hmm. because I I started reading it as well. It, to your point, it likes metaphor, right? So Mm -hmm. the metaphor that it will use is the brain has 8 trillion neurons and no one neuron is better than the others. They all work together, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, same thing with your, whatever, it might be like the forest, you know, no tree tells other trees where to grow. It's this very complex thing. Um, there are not, I believe, more talented neurons than others in the brain, to our understanding, at least. They're all like relatively equally talented. And in humans, you have a spectrum from incredibly talented to not particularly talented. And so I think if you're going to run a business like the brain, one, you have to not have any people who lack talent. But two, I wonder if Apple, for instance, would have performed as well, if not for the fact that Steve Jobs was the clear leader. Mm -hmm. Because I think even upon his death, the company has lost some of its innovation and its ability to kind of conquer the world, you know what I mean? And that business was very hierarchical. He founded it, he left, it kind of fell apart, he came back. And so I wonder if there's a way to structure yourself so that employees or people you're leading, even if it's not a business, are empowered Love the mission, feel connected to what they're doing, but you have set up a system that acknowledges like some of these people are Steve Jobs. And some oh no! Of the, the, so just
2: read—you got to just read a little bit more of the book. Um, it'll it'll cover this. So, um, to the second the second point first, which is, uh, you know th- these prior organizations have been run this way and have been successful, and when you take it away, totally agree. The same argument could be made for
1: well that's true of the church that's true of this tribe that lasted yes, for but a long there's time. There's no business run like this yet that has come to be the size of a hierarchical organization. Well,
2: right? this like, is, so again, this is the other thing. Why is big better? Mm-hmm. So that's big machines are better. Are are huge? Should an organism grow infinitely? Is that good? So this is this is actually my, my favorite assumption. There's two that I love in here that made me go, oh my gosh. One, why be bigger? Mm-hmm. Um, we've just talked about how like we sure, have sure. these weird incentives. Uh, be healthier. Be uh, more connected to the people that you like. Have faster flows of information and feel really connected, but bigger. Forget that. And the other thing that I thought was fascinating is, implicitly, people want to grow their market share in business. They mm-hmm. want to dominate more of the market, or if there is no market, they want to create a market. It's like why the entire underpinning of why people pay you money is because they have a problem. And they need you to help wouldn't you want to at some point like there's there's a cresting where you start shrinking the market like there's no longer a market for smallpox vaccines or there's no longer a market and kind of what we would like is to live in a world you and i eventually where there was a shrinking market for charisma and confidence because that problem had been taken care of and not Mm -hmm. in a way where you needed to continue to buy from me to continue to get your fix which is what's baked into every organization. You know, how can we get them on a subscription product? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> how can we sell them a pill that they need every day or software that they have to use? Uh, people aren't trying to solve problems. They're trying to create addicts in business. This is planned obsolescence. Your first flip phone just lasted. Now you got to get a new iPhone yeah. every single day. Uh, and they don't make your life any better. And well, the market think- is, ex- is-, is exploding
1: for technology. I actually think there are companies that focus on solving a problem and rely greatly on their one guy. I just think of anything Elon Musk has. Oh, 100%. Done. Like Elon 100%. does Tesla. He releases, it's open source to in terms of like, hey, let's get this problem solved. He, he seems to be very mission driven. Mm-hmm. I don't think t- Elon is trying to make himself wealthy as his number one goal. Um, I think those companies succeed because he's so deferred to. You know what I mean? So I don't know, but he has said that he spends
2: 1% of his time on the boring company. For instance, so we can't be that involved mm-hmm. and they have made huge strides in the drilling of tunnels and the uptime of the drills and I don't know a ton about it. I suspect that Elon, workaholic that he is and I don't think he's set up an organization like this one, would tell you that there's a little bit of the hero syndrome going on in his organization where where um, and he plays into it he'll he'll be the figurehead so
1: that every talented scientist in the world sure. will come work for him. no and the parts that I like from the from what I've seen in the book are, is the idea that, the so many people just go to work to make money yeah they don't care about their mission at all what company they work for doesn't matter if they got mm-hmm. offered more money to go to a competitor they would and if they got offered money to go to a different industry they would you know what i mean like they're not they're not working at jc penny because they love the idea of providing clothing for <laughs> yeah you know what i mean or helping people select their and their i think that ties. is something that ought to change i think that when you have people who are tied to the mission And feel fulfilled, they will produce more. Mm -hmm. I think that when you give people more autonomy, some of them will over deliver in a way that is 10 times more than they would have if restricted. I agree with all that. Mm -hmm. Um, I just also think that there's probably something to the fact that there's a talent discrepancy amongst humans. So I I agree. And I'm not, this isn't, this
2: is to add nuance to all of that. at my job that i was at for a year and a half i was at the lower half of the talent pool mm-hmm. uh i didn't have to be and it's yeah, not yeah. like i and it's also it's not that i couldn't have been good at excel and it's not that the idea of helping the government save money was
1: uninspiring to me you have a borderline genius iq you're not who i'm talking about <laughs> well thank you no <laughs> you're not um, who i'm talking about i'm talking about let's say that you run a company and you have people who work at the front lines mm-hmm. who have uh, s- struggle to problem solve in the sense that they uh, do not perform well on tests that are meant to measure your problem solving. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just don't. I think that there's there's a reason that people um, set up the manager system. And I don't think it's because when you have the straight A student with the borderline genius sure. IQ, he shouldn't be unleashed a little bit. And I don't think that you were maximized because you didn't care about the mission at all. It was just a job paycheck come and come out. Um, but what I'm saying is uh, in the realm of which a brain cell has the most potential, you would not be on the bottom 20%. I 100% agree that within individuals, one, it, it's also
2: related to a particular skill set because I have no potential as a wide receiver. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. So like, so there's somebody out there that has no potential in our organization or other ones that are cognitive, but can do things that I couldn't come close to in, other, sure. in other venues. But I will give you another example. Um, so uh, while totally understanding that we have differential potentials cognitively physically all that kind of stuff uh my brother who had learning disabilities growing up struggled to like grasp reading uh when he was in his third and a half year of college was on the five or six year plan (laughs) not by not by uh planning but by the grades that he was getting Mm -hmm. at at a temple university uh came with us to brazil was surrounded by a different group of people and for years didn't really show much jumping out of that mm-hmm. and it was only with the right combination of uh financial support plus financial pressure which is like hey here's some but not an infinite amount mm-hmm. and you have to take this job that you hate by the way being around people that were doing things and osmosising, and a little bit of questions but honestly no one really coached him at any point is now doing very well mm-hmm. uh I think that people, and I think myself included. People, I I don't think I'm a genius, but people that have you know done well on test, all these. I'm hugely a product of my circumstances, but I will not deny that there's genetic influences that that I um, are different in mm-hmm. people. So I just think that th- that you can create contexts in which far greater numbers of people are capable of successes that would really surprise you.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, just within an organization that had no hierarchy, you'd you would. I mean, I could see a world where Steve it, Jobs gets kicked out because he's a
2: dick. Well, he was kicked out because. <laughs> that's what, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like- but also, it's it's not that there's no hierarchy, just to be clear. It's that hierarchy, um, it's not a uh, organizational predetermined hierarchy. It emerges uh, and it's, it's fluid in terms of. And unfortunately, there's going to be problems with this. I like, totally like there's going to be hierarchies in these organizations that are purely based on charisma and. Who you talk to and and politicking. I yep. mean, that's that's definitely going to happen. Some guy's really smooth, tells great stories. Oh, let's not fire him. Like, uh, but no, it, it it does talk about how they're not every voice. Every voice is heard, but they're not all counted equally. It's not like one person one vote democracy when it comes to doing things. Um, Why not? Because the system prevents that, or people's self interest prevents that. So I think that there are sh- it's this is what I'm trying to wrap my head around because we've done this. We've, we've tried. We've gone both ways. We're like, we read the machine book, the E-Myth, right? right? We're like, businesses are machines. People need processes. Write everything in a standard operating procedure. And no, that does not work. And we talked about how that guy in a second book acknowledges as much yes. and it should take, there's, there's a time for standard operating procedures. And that's when it comes to how long you should be cooking burgers or doing very mm-hmm. simple tasks. Um, it is not... And, and there's checklists for making videos, but there's no standard operating procedure for making a YouTube video. Uh, and I don't think there ever will be. So we've gone that way. And then I've also just tried like, hey, guys, I trust you. I'm going to take a couple days off, like do whatever you want. That doesn't work either. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to identify any talks about them, the structures, culture, um, communication, and I think technology is a big piece of it that needs to be put in place so that it's not just a free-for-all of consensus opinion-making, which he even acknowledges. Like, consensus is the enemy. Having everybody vote and agree on everything, that's not how stuff gets done in the body. Your red blood cell and your neuron do not equally get a vote on whether you're... I snap. It's like, no, that is that is the role of, the, of a specialized system. Um, so I don't know how those thing, things emerge, but it is not as rigid as you might say uh meritocracy is which is even less rigid than the prior um church-like system so it's mm. it's it's more fluid uh i could be at the top of one hierarchy but i i make the hiring calls why do i make the hiring calls i have no expertise in this and it, it like that that's something that would flow to someone that had proven better than me
1: yeah um so we can we
2: can play with it i'm not yeah gonna i don't know
1: how in the weeds you want to get but like that's actually not true that's not how we got our <laughs> virtual customer support people they hired themselves we had one virtual customer support person who hired another one who yes. hired a third one
2: which is good which is good but that's actually what i think i actually think we have elements of this built in we're not totally there by any means and there's a couple things specifically i don't want to talk too much about our business but one thing that i realize that we need to do and i know you will agree with me is sit down everybody in a room as often as you want invitation only do not have to be there and i'm going to talk about the business from top to bottom I'm gonna talk about the numbers. I'm gonna talk about how it works. I'm gonna talk about how this piece works with this piece so that people are not as alienated from the bigger structure, which leads to poor decision-making, lack of feeling like you're involved with something important. Um, so we could talk about the specifics offline, but I, I did think that the piece that, that people might be interested in is, uh, it made me question what assumptions about human nature I have. Mm-hmm. And one of them is that, and it's not. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's that uh, you, I, I, think I overvalued past behavior and didn't factor in context enough. Mm. And I think I, if I had been as judgmental of myself as I has been as I have been of employees that have uh, lied or stolen from us. And I'm not saying that I want to hire them back. But like if I look at myself in my first job where I was saying that I was working more hours than I was, it was like, I would have never hired me (laughs) for this role so that people can be different
1: when given different levels of autonomy, control and interest in in what they do. For sure. my Honestly, my biggest pushback so far with the whole thing is his point is, and I think he would actually agree with what I'm about to say, the author says, we we always just go with the latest technology. This is also true of the human brain. Like we used to metaphor that humans were like, Carts like with horses, and now we metaphor that they're like computers. Yep. And they just aren't like we just capped. And I think he would, he said, organizations used to be looked at like they were blank, and now they're looked at like (laughs) they're machines. And then he uses metaphors like the brain. Mm -hmm. And all I would say is just throw all of that out because we are not the brain. We are Mm -hmm. not neurons. We are not equally capable of firing messages off at the same speed. We do not have identical shapes. We did not come from splitting in half. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So just forget the metaphor altogether. Don't try to create a business that looks like a brain just say we have people and we have no idea what paradigm works best, but let's figure it out. You know what I mean? And kind of mm-hmm. start from scratch. And I think he would actually say, yeah, just use the metaphors because they're convenient. Um, yeah, I, well, one thing, it's not
2: that brain, it's organism. And I think one of the things you're talking about how the neurons are the same. He talks about an organism, which is like
1: your brain has a level of control mm-hmm. over parts of your body. I would like, just say, throw that out though. A business is not a human organism. It's, not a, it's yes. not a machine. It's also not a human organism. A human organism is a mm-hmm. human organism. And like, It's not a forest. And I think to the extent that you try to look at a forest and then structure your business and the people in it like a forest, you're just better off going, okay, let's pretend I have no, like, let's just pretend I have human resources and I want to get the most out of them to solve a problem, helping people with charisma or helping sick people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I think in the same way that thinking of them as cogs Mm -hmm. in a machine is bad, I suspect that when you try to make them look like vegetation in a forest, you'll just miss-
2: I think metaphor is inescapable. For instance, I, that that's why he would say, "Let's try to get a better metaphor." Because you're like human resources to try to get out. That's still a very machinistic view of it. Like I have a human resource and I want a result. Like you cannot escape the fact that you're going to be viewing. And I agree, it's not. It's not a body. It's not a forest. It's none of this. Yeah, that's things. what I'm saying. It's like if you try to make totally agree, look like a forest or a human body, you'll just get it wrong. Yes, it's and you're. It's just slightly better. Is I think what it might be is that. You're stuck in metaphor you're like it's not the, the, the universe is too freaking complicated to, to say it's anything other than what it appears to us yeah. as um but these models can be they can help you move in the right direction and eventually they will need to be discarded and he's also not totally crapping on the machine model which got us all of these awesome things and higher productivity and everybody's got a car and a phone and a thing into this into that um but yeah i agree i do i, w- I will not make us slaves a metaphor i will use it as to question and understand the pre-existing metaphors that drive some of my assumptions yeah um but yeah so I'm, i'm reading it it's cool if you have a business you might like it but is it useful at all if you don't run a business you know if you work in a business you might be like hey these types of businesses are existing and uh I didn't think I would ever be an entrepreneur, but that doesn't mean that I can't be highly engaged with my work, have a tremendous amount of power within an organization to shape my work and do interesting things. And the organizations that he talks about, one of them is a Dutch, uh, it's nurses that the way that the the healthcare system works in the Netherlands is that nurses show up to your house. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, these are not the most necessarily tech savvy, sophisticated organizations. One of them builds car parts. One of them... Uh, is nurses there's a school in there so yeah you might just be interested in like holy cow i don't like my job i don't want to be an entrepreneur but maybe i could find something a little bit more like this any american companies uh yes there's a tomato company (laughs) (laughs) they make tomato paste and he says it's like this one is a little bit more like a factory line but anybody can initiate the firing process of anybody Uh, anybody can initiate the hiring process you the way salaries are chosen is fascinating Um, and it's actually what we've done with one person in our company, which Mm -hmm. is we sit down and we go, what do you think you've earned? He throws out a number. We say, this is what we think, you know, and then, and we've always, they're complicated, but we actually walk away. I think both parts being like, okay, you know, I can, I can deal with this and you feel that you're being compensated and you understand how. So, um, something like that could make its way farther into the organization. Maybe not all the way, maybe not immediately, but, um, that kind of
1: stuff is what is what they have. Sure. Um, I'm also just very always cautious to jump into a book after the E-Myth burn. Sure. And so it's like we were 100% convinced SOPs were the answer. And now yeah, yeah. being 100% convinced that being a, a forest is the answer is just like, Yeah, yeah. I'll just I'll just do this slowly. Yeah. Because there's a chance that this guy is wrong.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. And the last piece, which I did think was interesting, is that uh, it's just the spiritual question is is and there's not a right or a wrong answer. It's just illuminating. Is love or fear guiding this decision? Mm-hmm. Um, and fear is appropriate. If a lion is roaring at you, <laughs> you're like, love would make me hug him. You know, it's the fear can be the appropriate one. But um, fear of being taken advantage of, I think, drives so many decisions yeah, yeah. and probably more than it needs to. And it's OK to get burned sometimes to open yourself up to the possibility of huge wins well is- that
1: i mean that's something i try to ask in personal relationships yeah i think that forgetting if it's fear or love because i think there's a lot of emotions but i go am i am i coming from love mm-hmm. right now you know what i mean even when firing someone mm-hmm. like let's say that somebody has screwed up a bunch yeah okay well they have to go because they can't be here but you can come in and be like hey man i'm noticing you're screwing up a bunch like yeah is something going on is a family member sick is a family member dying like at the end of the conversation you still can't work here but i can ask you as a human you know Mm -hmm. and i and dating it's the same thing like you don't have to stay with someone but you can break up with them without hating them just being like listen you had whatever life you had has created you you're not right for me but i'm going to come from love in the sense that like you're perfect for you you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. actually that's when i've always liked or not always liked. as of like two years ago i started to really like am i coming from a place of love while i do this Mm -hmm. Which you but I think people get confused and think that makes you a pushover but it's not true you can break up you can fire yeah, yeah. you can break you can end a business deal uh but you just come from a place of well weirdly sometimes fear is what
2: keeps you from ending the business deal breaking yep. up saying the hard thing you know yeah, I mean, yeah. sometimes love is the uh on its awesome. surface more uh more direct more confrontational mm-hmm. way of being and fear is the yeah I just won't say anything <laughs> you know just no, like, i think that is right it out
1: often surprisingly the case if you can truly get to a place where you're coming from love you end up doing what's better for your happiness Mm -hmm. more often yep yep so my last one okay and then i have one more too (laughs) you
2: lied to me uh this was just a small thing that had happened but you were doing calls for a job that we're looking to hire for Mm. and one of the references was apparently someone that we bumped into Mm in brazil yes eight years ago yes and said hi to and then there was another one that was i forget exactly what the other thing was but it was like one of those random eight-year-old small acts of kindness where somebody remembered and took a meeting Mm -hmm. and i was struck and it's happening increasingly and i guess i just am saying this for those of you who are not yet 30 plus years old or like it's been weird how decades old tiny little behaviors of like saying hi, being friendly to someone who at this time in Brazil had nothing to offer Mm -hmm. us and we had nothing to offer them. But just being kind made him take. This is a guy who doesn't take calls. He's been successful in business. He doesn't need to. He doesn't talk to anybody, but he took the call Mm -hmm. and he helped us with the thing. And we actually might work together because he's he's into ayahuasca, which is kind of why he's off
1: doing his own thing. Mm -hmm. But I remember the other one. It was uh, when I was in college, I was trying out for different fraternities and I ended up getting invited to a couple of fraternities. A lot of my friends went to one, but I went to another that I thought was a better fit. But I still wanted to go hang out with those friends of mine from freshman year. Everyone that was a year older than us, except for a couple of guys, was a huge dick to me because they felt very spurned, right? Mm-hmm. But one guy was just kind. Nothing, nothing crazy, no story to write home about, but every time I saw him, he was just as friendly as he was when I was rushing the fraternity. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, 13 years and Jordan Belfort's team hit us up about going onto his podcast and having him on our podcast. And at first I was a little bit skeptical of if it was legit or if they were going to ask for something else. And I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to take the meeting. I was like, okay, I'll take the meeting, but I'm just going to see what their sales pitch is because they're the sales guys. But I was very skeptical and he was on the call. And immediately Mm -hmm. I was more receptive to what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And it was because 13 years prior, he had been kind to me yeah yeah you know what i mean and i even said on the call it's like great it was a great call to have him on this call because <laughs> i am instantly receptive to you guys in a way that i was not prior yeah and i don't think he did it for that reason i don't <laughs> think he could have seen the down the fairway or whatever you want to call it uh trickle down effects of the kindness but yeah i mean i have a high opinion of this person because of something that happened a very long time mm-hmm. ago you know what i mean and i think it's becoming so it karma and like
2: things coming back to you it was totally real in the tribal times because it's these are the 150 people that you're gonna see all the time mm-hmm. so like be nice then we got to a period i don't know how long ago where we evolved out of that and you move cities and you're disconnected and you can start over and burn people over again or be kind and it won't come back to you mm-hmm. we're getting that same scale but there's a reconnectedness mm-hmm. that is occurring with linkedin and all these kind of things and who knows who and seeing people on the internet where that karma that simple kindness stuff is reasserting its way back into your life from totally. people that have become far flung and this isn't the reason to be kind but it, i guess just a reminder that in both of these situations the act of kindness words literally hey man what's up good to talk to you like yeah, have a great time in Brazil. Hope that you're. That was it. It
1: yeah. was nothing, uh, nothing over the top. Yeah. Oh, hey man, nice to see you. Oh yeah, yeah you're looking for Tim? He's downstairs. Yeah. That's, yeah. It. that's the level of kindness we're yeah, talking. Yeah, yeah. Just not being a dick. Um, uh, but
2: crazy, yeah. crazy. And I think, and I, and I've seen it happen increasingly as I've gotten older. And I think it's probably going to accelerate because that's been the the speed of it and i'm sure that there's things that we've missed for times that we were not kind (laughs) for times that we were rude to people and we've reached out and they're no longer interested and so there's a long distance between reaping what you sow and and you're constantly doing it so just something to,
1: to keep in mind yeah you don't know how it'll play out it might might play out 10 years later you know yep
0: Yep.
1: Yep. My last one. My last one. I'm doing a video potentially on Craig Ferguson. So I'm doing a lot of research on Craig Ferguson. He appears to be universally liked. Even today, his comments are largely positive. People, I've missed him, blah, blah, blah. Could his show exist in 2020? No. For those of you who don't know Craig Ferguson, he tons of sexual innuendo in a way that his guests almost always seem to enjoy in a very safe, playful way. He's married. No scandals came out from the show. Could he make the same fun beloved show today i do
2: not think so and i'll add a bummer yeah well i just watched a daniel tosh episode and i was like this cannot be on the air the running gag he does the web redemptions is that there was a 17 year old girl on a cruise ship and he's the gag is that she's hot and he wants to sleep with her and she's 17 (laughs) but it's international waters so it's totally cool now you know and (laughs) Goodbye, <laughs> goodbye, yep. career, goodbye, all of this. And Daniel Tosh already got shut down for, for uh, a joke, but uh it's yeah, it's Craig Ferguson couldn't do it, and it's strange because well, Daniel
1: Tosh is controversial. Dan- I actually would throw him out for the sake of this conversation because sure. some people hate him, some people find him very offensive. yes, and he's he's purposely told many upsetting jokes yeah. in the past. So I would throw him out. He's a bit of a he's trying to toe the line. He's being edgy. What's, yeah. what's appropriate? Craig Ferguson, all of his guests i love being on here they Mm -hmm. come back six seven times like there's there's just a sense that he's he's doing something people like to watch and like to participate in i would be willing to bet that there was someone who didn't like it well it even makes making this video hard because there's there's advice that you have to couch because even though it's good flirting advice people might not recognize that it's good it's it's useful when flirting with 80% of the population but not 20% of the population mm-hmm. and that's okay 20% of people are allowed to not like you you can say a joke that people don't enjoy that happens all the time in non-sexual relationships yeah, yeah, too yeah. we do not all no one is universally liked even the nicest kindest person aggravates someone you, you're you you know a woman who's as kind as could be but a bit of a try hard and we just found out that someone hates her <laughs> because she was just trying to be liked you know what I'm saying yeah, yeah. so like I think it's totally fine if you have something that you have in your personality that 80% of people enjoy and 20% don't enjoy. That's no, I, Yeah, that's no I, longer okay on I, television. I, but I can't make it, I can't say that in the video, you know what I mean? Or I feel mm-hmm. restricted. I can say whatever I want. But yeah. to say, oh yeah, do this. And you know, most people are going to laugh and love it, but there's some part of the population that won't like it. And by the way, just that's the end of the conversation. Like don't continue pursuing that yeah. part of the population.
2: Well, I guess as so I sit makes- here, easy for me to say as I sit here and it's your voice, but it is, you know, the channel that we
1: share. I, I want to encourage you to tell the truth as best you can. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, I'm going to make 100% or I'm going to try to make 100% of the video be good advice. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, am I going to include 100% of the good advice I could give based on Craig? No. Just I'll just tell you straight up, I'm not. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's the interesting uh, realm I find myself in when making this video. There has to be, at
2: some point, I believe, a uh, a pendulum swing back mm-hmm. and... I'm not, I guess it's just nice to be on the tip of the spear when you're going in the other direction. So, so I'm not saying that you have to go crazy, but I would just put it in your brain that if it is true, that you can give good advice and, and there's, there's realms of, you know, you don't need to talk about sex in it's explicit, you know, here's, here's
1: the dynamics of how to be a good sexual partner or anything like that. No, but okay, let's talk about that. Flirting can go very well if you steer the conversation towards sex mm-hmm. it can also feel very creepy sure if you put the conversation towards sex mm-hmm. so there's uh, a way in which one does it and i think craig does it very well but when you tell 200,000 people to do that some of them will do it poorly yeah especially in the process of learning how to do it well like a lot of them yeah, yeah, do it yeah. poorly. so you're creating these people who will go out and like eventually get good at this but the first time they do it they'll say something Flindy. that people find creepy or, or off-putting yeah and then the question is are you advocating for creepy behavior it's like no i'm advocating for this thing that craig does which is largely extremely charming you know what's what's interesting is that um because he ta- he makes every conversation he bangs it towards the topic of i've watched i've watched craig and what i would say
2: is that what he does well is he uh makes it their idea you know he, he not he every could, time okay. some of the time sometimes that, he comes way, in with
1: strong innuendo that's the safe advice yeah yeah that's the advice that can go in the video sure but there's other times that he just fucking brings up sex, just forces, and sex.
2: it's and it's in an, an uncomfortable sorry, not forces sex, forces <laughs> the, the conversation of sex. Sure. So I think what's interesting is if you think what what does creepy mean? Because mm-hmm. creepy is it's a feeling that, uh, in this case, women get without necessarily much rational. It's just
1: a feeling that comes up. And I think everyone, uh, not everyone. Sorry, I think a large portion of both men and women would agree that the same words. Can come from two different people, and it can be extremely attractive, fun, and flirty, or or creepy, based on looks, social status, delivery, confidence, clothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and they- so, I I think that both men and women would would say, yeah, the same sentence can get said, and it can either be creepy or it can be charming. And this is the difficult thing: is that if
2: creepy is, which I which I interpret it to be, the um. It's an unwanted sexual advance, but what makes it unwanted isn't that that person hates sexual advances or could never Mm -hmm. be interested in a sexual advance from a person of that particular look. It's that the self-confidence that is said, the delivery, the playfulness,
1: the environment, all of those other things. I I mean, and again, I would list their look, their status, Mm -hmm. like some combination. And you don't need all these things, but some combination of looks, status, confidence, delivery like well that's Mm -hmm. voice intonation what you're wearing like the setting exactly that's what defines the sentence being perceived as creepy or charming and there's some sentences that are just always creepy but like (laughs) i remember uh, there's not there's not there are no sentences that are always creepy can i say we have a friend who is very strong feminist yeah and she once met a guy whose first line was You have amazing lips. I bet you give great blowjobs. Yeah. In a vacuum, if she were sitting on this couch as part of the podcast, and I told this story, but it hadn't happened to her yet, she'd say that was appalling. Mm -hmm. That's atrocious. That guy deserves to get slapped in the face. In real time, what happened well, she went back to the guy's apartment and gave him a blowjob. <laughs> not immediately. <laughs> no. And again, it was, it was playful. Later, it, it was, dude, it yeah. wasn't weeks yeah, later. I agree. It was that night. I know. I and know. So here's what I'm saying. So this, <laughs> I know. A very, this is a strong, well-educated uh, feminist woman who in that moment had a guy open the conversation by saying, you have beautiful lips. I bet you give great blowjobs. Yeah. And she did not find it creepy. Yes. But would have said, that's the creepiest effing line yeah, <laughs> that yeah. a guy could possibly start the conversation. Sure. Which is why what i'm saying is this is such a nuanced thing and so it's it's uh especially sorry when i'm making a video Mm -hmm. when you're not the person who's hearing the line from craig ferguson but you're the person sitting at the computer listening to me describe craig ferguson and then watching clips of him from afar yeah um it's just tough to give i'm trying to figure out how one gives this advice in a way that people even believe it because that if i told her A month prior that that would have happened to her she would have said i was a lunatic yes so the question is how do i even package this in a way that is digestible you know what i mean yeah i don't have i don't have the answer for you but as i'm thinking through the
2: problem the problem is that yeah the same thing same word same this is creepy from one person at one point in their life and not creepy and extremely attractive from another person Mm -hmm. and part of what you were saying is that okay let's say that you're in that category of uh uncomfortable low self-esteem guy that just didn't grow up being super cool in school how do you move from the creepy column which is like oh that guy showing any level of interest is just i'm not even if he's just asking me on a date it's not creepy but it's like how how dare you deign or not why would i deign to go on a date with you how do you move from that pile to the other pile if you're not allowed to at any point be creepy Yep. like if you can't if like it's kind of like hey you're not a talented uh shot in basketball you need to make every shot for the rest of your life yeah, you're not allowed need to you miss to bench press, <laughs> you've never been pressed before i need you
1: to bench press 225 pounds in one yeah. year yeah but you can't do any push-ups or bench press between and, from, from it, now can, it can like, only be 225 yeah it can exactly. only be 225 it's like well wait i can get there i can do this yeah yeah i need a year of solidly working up to it with lower weight yeah Or I need the, and I'm going to, by the way, the first time I try it, I might miss and need a spotter, but eventually I'll get there. Yeah. It's like, no, no, you have to bench 225 and you can only bench 225, no spotters ever. This is, it becomes, that's an impossible task. Well, I think what we're negotiating as a society,
2: and clearly there's, there's too far. Like if you, that guy that works and you know what, he might have the, the fucking swagger and the eye and the, that, that, that has never gone poorly for him in his entire life. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's totally a possibility. Let's just pretend that it is. Uh, yeah, the question remains what if you're not
1: that well and the other person is, and by the way i'm not even saying and i don't you don't have to I don't take think that i've ever
2: used so sorry that sorry line. sorry here's here's what i was gonna say there's got to be something in between give me a blow job and um hi can i buy hi drink? madam you know like I you? could i speak to your father and ask his permission yeah. f- to court you uh and as a society we're negotiating where that line is but i think undeniable is that it's weird you have to allow for some level of sexual advance to be rebuffed you have to Mm -hmm. as a society but it seems like we're increasingly getting to the stage where it's any sort of uh level of interest that is is it's that line is just moving back and back and back to you're not allowed to express that you are interested in me because that is creepy 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 coming from you so now there's two piles of people that are getting farther and farther apart
1: um even societally even when i was growing up it's it was we had this weird thing where it's like if you ask someone out and they say no that's embarrassing to you mm -hmm. your friends will laugh at you or her friends will laugh at you or something instead of a world where it's like i find you attractive would you like to go out with me no no thanks i don't find you attractive Mm -hmm. okay sounds good carry on and then you walk away and that's that in my opinion has to be considered a positive Mm -hmm. like you had the courage you asked you respected her answer uh that if that was if that felt creepy to the person being asked out to some extent i think we have to go that's okay if you if you if if the question is hey i like you and i think you're attractive would you go out with me no i find i find it's creepy that you asked unless Mm -hmm. let's say it's not work it's not any weird extent they're not cousins like throughout all the extreme (laughs) circumstances uh yeah i guess what i'm you you have to live in a world where Creepy's okay some of the well, time. Work, then. Well, then work is even one of the difficult ones. Okay,
2: let's say it's not her boss. Let's say it's her peer. This is where people meet, is in the workplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I have like, so many friends that yeah, are mar- yeah. literally married to coworkers. So what, are you not allowed to ask a coworker of your same rank out on a date at this point? Well, only if you're the person that's going to get a yes, mm-hmm. is, the, is the answer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is the difficult thing. It's And, and unfortunately, what we're doing, I, I watched a video of Mark Normand, who was a comedian. He was on the Joe Rogan yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah. got that dry delivery. He always says, that. I'm Kevin Hart. Thanks and good night. Yeah so he was on some radio show and they're talking about a plus size model and he was never heard of and he goes oh yeah she's a cow and and everyone erupts oh and he's never heard of her he's he's just purposely uh cracking a joke he's not he's he's never seen her but then he does continue to go on and he plays up the role of no not into that not no for me you know he's got that whole delivery thing and everyone in the room is laughing. Everyone in the room is laughing. I presume everybody on the radio is laughing and he's going to get away with that. Now, maybe not for many more years, but I just, what I see is society being, I was looking at the other guys in the room. I was like, if you said that you're fired, if you say that you're fired, he can say that. Why? Because he is in a protected class, but it's not that protected. And the protections are shrinking on the class of comedians. And we're increasingly, Split into two groups of people there's the people that are capable of making racy jokes and have set up that like Dave Chappelle can say whatever the fuck Dave Chappelle wants period about yeah. anything he's un. you know what I mean uh, Joe Rogan is getting is getting there a lot of he's mad eh, but he's got the podcast he can't say it in the with the wrong person. There's people that can crack jokes and there's people who are allowed none. <laughs> yeah. And there's sure. people that can ask on dates and say, you know, you, you would probably give a great blowjob and there's none. And then there's, there's it's weird, there's this weird stratification of society, it seems like, at every level, income and who can crack jokes and who can do, uh, who can say racy things. And it's like, if you don't know that you're in the category of the people that can, then you can't
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you can't well, my, and so, and my question i guess is what if you're trying to jump camps it's yeah. a
2: it's it's a dangerous time to do that yeah. is what i would say um and i and uh i guess the solution is if i had one and i could be um give advice or have a billboard to everyone is to uh increase your threshold at what point you're offended as best you can and increase the threshold At which point you try to end someone's career, get them a talking to, et cetera. But but, because there are people out there um, that that don't do this, protect your physical boundaries, protect your job, protect your income. Which is to say that if your boss is coming on to you and you think that your job is online, fucking protect yourself. You know what I mean? Um, So it's I can see both sides of it and it almost seems like uh the unintentional or maybe i don't know if it's intentional or not uh consequences of trying to protect uh people from abuse from people in power like the cosby's like the like the hey you got to do this if you want to get on stage you got to blow me type stuff is that uh young men that are a little bit odd and uncomfortable do are stuck, n- unable to jump from like, yeah. I don't know how to speak to a girl in a semi-sexual manner without being creepy, and it, I may never get the chance to learn
1: <laughs> yeah. because I cannot make a mistake. No, and so what I'm trying to figure out is if there are <laughs> these two camps, I'm, do, I'm studying someone who's clearly in the, when I say this stuff, it goes well 95% of the time camp.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: How do I give advice to both camps based on this person? You know what I mean? And you, so that's, that's what I You I'm have the impossible with. job of
2: speaking to an audience that you can't see that's 200, 500,000, a million people. Mm-hmm. And your aim is to not piss any of them off. So what I would suggest is that, and I, it's easy for me to say because I'm not making this video. Well, I'm just saying, I'll just say I'm Charlie before I hang hey guys, I'm Charlie. <laughs> this is Kevin Hart. This is Charlie One <laughs> Command. Change your aim is what I would say. Try to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, consider men, consider women. You know what I mean? Like try to do the utilitarian best thing that you could, considering that like, look, if I give this piece of advice, a bunch of uncomfortable, awkward dudes are going to go ruin a bunch of women's days. So, it, so I can't go that far because mm-hmm. that could be too easily misinterpreted, too easily spread. But also I need to help the the awkward 17 year old uh, crack a joke that is flirtatious, that yeah, yeah. is a little bit dangerous, well,
1: that I'll is give, a little bit. I'll give a little bit of a spoiler, <laughs> a little bit of a teaser. But uh, I think the solution is, I'm going to say, here, here's what he does. Here's an example. He misinterprets things. Mm-hmm. He, thankfully, misinterprets them sexually sometimes, but not sexually other times. Mm-hmm. So you, as a person, should learn this skill and figure out what <laughs> way what, what, what you want to do it. But like, he, so sometimes people will say something and he'll, he'll, you know, I don't know, Craig, I dropped the ball. And he's like, well, it's okay. Just pick it up and keep going. That's a sexual misinterpretation. Yeah. But other times, this woman, Miranda Kerr, says... I play a little piano do you play a small piano or a little bit of piano you know what Mm -hmm. i mean just saying as if she's saying i play a small size piano and so i'm just going to show both and be like listen this is what he does he misinterprets sometimes sexually sometimes not both are funny sexual has the ability to create sexual tension you run the risk of being creepy Mm -hmm. and there you go that's (laughs) point one is misinterpret Mm -hmm. and now we're on to point two so yeah i'm gonna try to to pick things that can go either direction player's option what way you want to do i'm going to show examples of both i'm going to try to find five things like that i think it deserves a final paragraph about
2: intuition and social intuition and developing it which is to say look i'm trying my best to give you an algorithm but none exists right like for the right time the right place the this the that the lighting you know the the the, if she's just out of a relationship and is really looking to get it, like i can't possibly do this Mm -hmm. so what i encourage you to do keep your eyes and ears open Try to be a good person, uh, and yeah, just just something on intuition at the end, which is a recognition that I can't possibly give you a playbook mm-hmm. for all of this. I can give you principles and pointers and tell you how things might push you in one direction or the
1: other, but well, luckily, Craig does calibrate too, so mm-hmm. there there can be a point in there about how like this is him noticing he's gone too far, yeah. and pulling back. yeah, like he doesn't he doesn't bash down the door, yeah, he knocks on the door they don't they don't answer you go just pull back a little bit sure so
2: no i i want to think more on this because it's like you said it's fraught with uh so many different people are listening because i'm aware as i'm talking like you know i'm talking to the young 17 year old guy who's nervous but i also have to be cognizant of the 30 year old woman who has had her 35-year-old boss try to bang her in the office for a promotion. It's Mm -hmm. like, how do I possibly give advice about men and women that accounts for both of those situations
1: and everything in between? Here's the other thing. If I were coaching, uh, I used to do coaching, one-on-one coaching, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm talking to a guy and he's like, yeah, I've never asked a girl out. I've never said anything inappropriate. I I feel very scared of this. I'm like, yeah, we need to push you to do more. Mm -hmm. If I'm talking to a guy who's really loud and he's like, I constantly make sexual jokes and they do. They go terrible. They go over you like the less. Hindenburg. Like yeah. I need you to not take things sexual for a week. Mm-hmm. Never make a sexual joke. See if your uh, results improve. You know what I mean. Like I'm gonna custom tailor my coaching to fit the person. And if they're if they're loud or if they're quiet, if they're sexual or if they're not, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, all right. Well, the good news is this video will be seen by both of them and 300,000 other people. Yeah. It's it's one of the. Cool, but
2: really difficult things. And this is what um, the Reinventing Organizations book. So we've talked about Spiral Dynamics in a Patreon video. By the way, if you guys want to join, you can check that out. Oh, is that
1: Patreon only? I think that was Patreon, yep. Spiral Dynamics. Yeah. Oh, nice. Where is uh, our Patreon? Patreon.com slash
2: Charisma on Command. Nice. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be in the description. But uh, I'll, a brief. So we talked about the different stages of organizations. The one that we skipped over from orange to what this one calls teal is this green. The green is everybody gets a vote. Everybody gets to say, "Yeah, we're a family, we're a a family and love and we will always find a way. And consensus is, you know, pure consensus is the only way that uh, is an impossible aim. And it's a utopian vision that that always fails and is always frustrated. And I just think of that in terms of what you're what you're doing when you're making this. This
1: video is uh, you're you just can't please everybody. You know you oh, have two percent of people will not like it. I know that from the thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, counter. yeah. At yeah. least two percent. No, some might hate it. Some yeah. might hate it. So, so yeah, you... which means thousands of people. <laughs> 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 More people than I will see in a month will yeah. hate it. Yeah. Uh, no, and the other thing is with with uh, with advice, the part that's tricky again, it'd be much easier to do it for, a video for one person is like, some you know when you want to shoot a basketball. You want your elbow to be tucked in, and you want to be ninety degrees from the thing, unless you're coaching Reggie Miller. Yeah, and then you just say, "Reggie, your elbow is <laughs> out by your ear, and you are the best shooter ever. Just do your thing. Yeah. We're gonna work on dribbling. You or know, what footwork. I mean? We're not yeah. even gonna bother with. We're gonna worry about getting you shots, but mm-hmm. we're not gonna touch your shot at all. Uh, if Reggie were trying to learn from YouTube, he'd be trying to pull his elbow in, even though he shoots the best percentage for yeah. threes of his generation or whatever it might be. So. That's, uh, yeah, this, the mass education thing is uh, is something that just in general is always tough to be like. That's why Hugh Jackman's so great to cover. Everything he does is just good. You know what I mean? Like, What do you mean? He's happy. He smiles. He remembers your name. He makes eye contact. He treats everyone like like his advice is so everyone, much more broad-spanning. Everyone would benefit from learning from Hugh Jackman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr., beloved. A little more nuanced. Like now you got to yeah. be a little bit careful. If everyone tried to mimic Robert Downey Jr., Not everyone would get better results than they currently get. Some people at first would miss, and they'd be they perceived as dicks. You know what I mean? Yeah, they would get it right if they kept trying and trying and trying. But yeah, there's some people when we do a video, it's like just try your best to be Hugh Jackman. Mary Styles is one of those who's super charismatic,
2: but it's tough to advise like when to be so laconic, when to crack. It's Mm -hmm. it's tough to do that. But I will even just for the sake of being pedantic you're still thinking in an american context take take Hugh Jackman to egypt and be like no
1: that's not that's I not like videos in english the arabic guy can choose to translate
2: <laughs> my my point is there is no everybody there there's no peace smile somebody doesn't like smiles i probably, you know yeah, yeah. So, so there there is no everybody there's only there's only what won't get the loud angry internet people on you and hugh jackman happens
1: to not trigger that crowd of people but it doesn't Mean. Uh, sure and weirdly enough i have a friend who's similar to him who i've seen be very charming in a lot of european countries and south american countries somebody doesn't like him we get translated into russian yeah, our yeah. advice tends to so actually i think there is there's it's more cross-cultural than i would have initially thought it's sorry I, I didn't mean only. to say that it's not that it couldn't go cross-cultural i just meant that somebody doesn't like
2: that friend mm-hmm. somebody doesn't like him for exactly the reason that most other people do yeah yeah um can't please everybody is all ever with anything (laughs) um anything else nope no that's it for today all right what we got justin first question
4: is i just took a job in a mine as an equipment operator my last position in a mine i had one foreman who would constantly micromanage a colleague of mine he would tell him every little thing and point out the obvious and i had heard that there are similar problems in my new company is it difficult to use radical honesty or is it difficult to use the radical honesty approach in a relatively macho environment with a person who has seniority to you? Is they are liable to laugh or make fun of you for doing so? Do you have any advice for when you have to deal with someone who is micromanaging
2: you excessively? Mm. So one thing that this made me think of that I'm really happy is, uh, we've given conflicting advice at points. We've, you know, be radically honest, but be practical about it. And, Mm. but except here, be totally radically honest. And we've done this with other things. Uh, And what I liked about the Reinventing Organizations book is it made me realize, and this is true of Spiral Dynamics as well, that what works is particular to a context. So radical honesty is really great for thoughtful,
1: evolving people. Well, we talked about it. This guy, I just want to be clear, is his own boss. Yes. So he is radically honest 100% of the time, all the time. And he says it's the best way to live. Yes. He controls his own income. He is a therapist, I believe. Yes. His clients can fire him, but he cannot lose his job over it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not saying that that means that he wouldn't be a good employee, but I do think it's important to understand where he's coming from. We've, we've used
2: this example. You don't be radically honest when the Gestapo is knocking on your door, asking you if you have any Jews in the attic, and Anne Frank is up there. Yeah. <laughs> you don't... like so, You so lie. You lie. You absolutely lie. So everything all the best advice, it it can only thrive in a particular context. So I think the goal generally is to understand what context you're in and then see if you can edge it closer to ones
1: that are... Because it's just better to not live in (laughs) Gestapo-controlled Germany or wherever. So, And for your happiness, you might be better off just finding a different company that paid you a little bit less money. Pissing your boss off and getting fired. But where you weren't being micromanaged. So I'm not even saying pissing off your boss. I'm Mm, just saying... if. You're like, wow, if I were radically honest, I would get fired because I hate this guy. Then for your own sake, take a pay cut and go work somewhere where you don't hate the person, where you can be honest at work and it won't go terribly. So let me draw
2: two contexts for you. You've got the context of your workplace, which you know better than I do. And then you've got the context of your world. I'm presuming that you live in America somewhere. I'm presuming that you're watching this podcast. You have a level of education. You can read and write and have your faculties about you. What I would say is that if you look at the context of um, the world, America, where I presume you are in it, uh, more radical honesty is going to be good, even if it gets you fired from this job, because it might get, you know, you piss the boss off, you stand up for that guy. He starts grinding you. You're like, I can't take this anymore. Now he's micromanaging me. I have to leave. Probably within the next couple of years, you will be in a better position for having spoken up about something that was pissing you off because fortunately we tend to most of us live in an America where
1: change is possible one addendum I would if you see that is the path just find a different job I always think it's better to just get a different job and quit than get fired
2: oh I'm not saying get fired I'm just saying if, if he was honest with his boss and his boss took it really poorly
1: mm-hmm. um, within the context of your job maybe you, okay let's pursue presu- sorry I just want before I uh, you you also might just be able to switch bosses within a company sure. you might be able to go above and just big like, listen i can't bubble bub. I, I had this in one of my jobs was there was a boss i couldn't stand and i just tried as hard as i could to work with the other bosses mm-hmm. so I, there's a way where you can maybe put yourself in a position to where honesty won't be the death of you
3: mm-hmm.
2: and i suspect that there's a way and we've talked about this where you can be practically honest so radical would be like you're the biggest asshole that i've ever seen and i can't see. like that's that's the true
1: unfiltered feeling yeah, yeah. that i, I have. would have punch you in the face <laughs> the only reason i don't
2: is because i like my job and i don't want to go to jail uh practical honesty might be setting up me to be like hey can i talk to you and then doing what we've mentioned this is like hey this is tough for me to say and uh i don't know how to go about it so he's listening but i, I really only bring this up because i respect you and i uh, also respect this other guy and things, but i notice and i speak to this other person and he feels really micromanaged and uh i think that he's capable of better work i think he's capable of this but i wanted to talk to you about it to see what you thought and see if you'd recognize this because i do think it's a problem in your relationship and it might be actually hurting his performance and hurting the company so there's a way to go about it that is uh practically honest friendly you get to a place where you are feeling more compassion for this boss rather than the knee-jerk anger or whatever um and it might be a macho environment he even might take that
1: the yeah, wrong yeah. way have we ever codified the steps because i know we talk about this on the podcast all the time do we have we ever just labeled them Been like, i'm sure bah, we have bah, at bah, some bah, point bah. yeah but might be worth doing <laughs> we can we'll come up with uh maybe a patron sheet and just be like oh check it out <laughs> the, yeah. the how ask, to have how do i be honest a lot and how, and how to have tough conversations like, yeah you acknowledge the person yeah. you talk I mean, f- facts and feelings we should yeah. just try to codify what it is sure uh so but but that said i think
2: if you taking to a private place and doing the, the things that we've mentioned there is probably worth doing. And yeah, it might, I can't promise it's a macho environment. This guy might have a really hard head. You might not execute it as perfectly as you want. Um, and it might not go the way you hoped. But I think that if you're in a similar context to me, which isn't perfect, I've never been a minor, but at the end of the day, you will be happy that you had the guts to do it. So mm-hmm. your self-esteem will rise there's a chance that it makes things go much better. Um, and it'll, it'll just, it'll really, perhaps most importantly, your self-esteem will go up and you'll have looked out for somebody. So I think it's, it's probably worth considering practical honesty here. Cool. Next is from
4: the same person last week that asked about who would do like, quote unquote, dirty jobs if everyone pursued their passion. And they wanted to rephrase their question. So they say the newer generation is increasingly focused on creating a business or doing freelance work being a YouTuber, et cetera. Mm. And I wonder if this advice of do what you love, start a business is actually detrimental. Does this mean we should encourage more kids to go to college and get traditional jobs like our parents did? Or would all these kids try to do what they love and 90% fail and end up with normal jobs? Therefore, supply and demand balances it out. And as a follow-up, how do you still enjoy life if you do work that's not meaningful to you?
1: So my initial reaction is I think it's interesting to bucket entrepreneurs, people who are doing what they love and influencers, because I would not do that. And I think if the world were focused on entrepreneurs and and pursuing your passion, you'd probably end up with more physicists, chemists, more small businesses. You know what I mean? I actually think we've talked about this. The extent someone wants to be an influencer, I don't think they're even really pursuing their passion. I think what they're pursuing is fame. Yeah, because no one would or not no one. A very small percentage of people would be making those photos or those videos if they weren't allowed to publish them to the masses. You know, I think Elon Musk pursued his passions when he was taking apart computers as a kid or self-teaching himself physics. You know what I mean? Yep. So I would say, would society collapse if everyone 16 and under pursued being a Instagram influencer? Yes. Would it if everybody pursued being an entrepreneur or pursuing their passion without being so influenced by prestige fame or wealth generation might even be better off Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's kind of my initial take on the first part of the question Mm -hmm. and well the second half is some won't make it
2: right i think the big thing with passion is to recognize there's no guarantees you Mm -hmm. could take a crack time might not be right you might not be right the idea might be half-baked it's just nice to try Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's nice to give it a go uh and and at
1: least feel like you you know if if it's in the cards and you can always double back and try again for instance like some people might just love cars Mm -hmm. so they learn about cars they become a mechanic they open up their own mechanic shop well we need mechanics sure my car breaks down i don't know how to fix it that's not that's not detrimental to society that's plugging a hole that needs to be filled you know what i mean i
2: agree and also it's like well who will clean up the trash well somebody i do believe this so let's like let's say that nobody out there wants to be a trash man and let's say that if they had the support and education and freedom to do so that they would all go solve and help with different problems i think part of what is not being expressed here and what you what you talked about with the influencer thing is that there's a difference between passion and what people are driven to do Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that the nice thing about passion is that if you really do it from a You've taken your psychedelics, you've had therapy, you've you've taken done some breath work and you thought about it. You will want to help people. Mm -hmm. Like it will at some point it's cheesy, but that that giving is is the most important thing sinks in, in a way that is you become passionate about. And so you will want to find a way to help the trash men not have to be trash men anymore, right? To to create a world with less trash or to have a, an automated recycling thing or to like people will try to help people who need help. And so a lot of the jobs that exist that are undesirable, I think would start to become faded out as we solved the problems that they did. Now, it wouldn't happen overnight and it might not be across
1: the board. But- I also think people are heavily influenced by fame and the pursuit of wealth. But if everyone was paid the exact same amount mm-hmm. and no one was allowed to be famous, I think you would get people who genuinely wanted to be factory workers because it's interesting to be part of an assembly line or who liked being mailmen because you get to talk to all these people and play with dogs and you're delivering them letters from loved ones and it might be rewarding. And they say thank you every time. Like, Well, the mailman one- these, This idea of like these bad jobs mm-hmm. being bad and the idea of an Instagram influencer being good, I think is not, that's not about passions. I'm, I'm kind of repeating myself. I would The one thing that I would disagree with, I agree with the mailman. I think
2: I am a bit convinced by Marx that there's an alienation of labor when you become such a specific person in a machine-like organization. And so I think there's examples in the book that we've talked about several times today, reinventing organizations of people that work in factory lines, but they actually sacrifice efficiency of everybody does one thing
1: to have people more involved at various stages yeah, yeah, to yeah. move Dude, around. Dude, I can imagine working in a factory being dope by the way. You got ten guys you get along with yucking yeah, yeah, yeah. it up all day while you build something with your hands. And you take end. and I and, get the same pay that these investment bankers get because we're living in this imaginary world. Mm-hmm. I'd way rather be a factory worker than an investment banker. Sure. This and, guy's gonna sit in a cubicle alone and play Excel while I build something with <laughs> my hands yeah. and talk to guys I like. Yeah. Like no question. The people, and it's a book, so it's
2: got an agenda to make it look like, they they seem to really enjoy their factory jobs where they make car parts. They make this very specific car part, and they make the best in the world. Every other thing is made in China, but they still have market share because they make the best, Mm -hmm. and they love making the best. And there's the one story where they found an error in one of their pieces and so got two guys on the line got in the car drove eight hours to the person to go look through their stuff and be like did we get you any other bad ones they didn't (laughs) there was just one messed up one but like they are artisans Mm -hmm. in that sense and so i do think that uh there is a way to to uh if people start to pursue their passion even the things that we don't like that are just very monotonous routine dirty whatever can transform or or have elements added or subtracted from them that make them the work of a craftsman.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, e- like even the janitorial services, I would say you can find ways to uh, take pride in, and I'm sure that there's janitors out there that take serious pride in in the work that they do. What, what was that story? It was uh, from NASA. The 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 story. Uh, I think it was JFK or one of the presidents. Maybe it was Eisenhower toured. No, because NASA came after. I don't know. It was one of those presidents in the 60s uh, touring NASA. And he asked the janitor what he was up to. He said, I'm helping put a man on the moon. And he was like, he was dope. He was into it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there's, there's a way for uh, a more passionate world that doesn't devolve into everyone's an instagram influencer and i think there would no be- instagram influencers <laughs> actually chasing their passion that's
1: my hypothesis one or two i'm are. gonna toss it out one, there. one or two are it's not but- that fun to do a photo shoot it's not that fun to edit a photo and it, no one would sorry one percent of people would do it if they had to at the end of the day hang it up in their own apartment and the only people that could see it were friends that came by or or uh, people that purchased it which is how they made their money like it was a work of art um in any event yeah i think there's a good distinction between entrepreneurs those- people pursuing their passion and instagram influencers mm-hmm. And then the other question was how do you be happy if you have a job that you hate Mm. Uh, so
2: i never asked that question i'm fortunate i asked how do i get out of this job that i hate Mm -hmm. which i think if you're asking for yourself is definitely a better question Mm -hmm. especially if you have the luxury of watching our podcast Um, that's the appropriate question for you if you're thinking about
1: other people uh well, certainly there's a way because two generations ago, yeah, everybody yeah. just was like, work is work. It's how I provide for my family. I love providing I for my family. I don't think they
2: hated it. I think that really, this is the thing, and this is the Marx, is that people didn't necessarily hate work. Life was hard, mm-hmm. but farming and this and taking pride in what you do, there's something about that. I what agree. is? What are you is, saying
1: Marx or the fourth turning?
2: Karl Marx. No, Karl Marx's whole idea is that uh, there's this... The alienation of labor occurs as men become smaller and smaller cogs in larger and larger machines where they're God. doing widget, widget, widget. Uh, that's when people become despondent. But it's not that uh, building metalwork is something... People love metalwork. Yeah. People love agriculture. People, they do all of these things, but what they can't do is one repetitive thing Mm -hmm. one piece of it to be more efficient in your production of whatever the output sure i'll buy that
1: because someone could poo poo farming but we have a friend who is all about botany
2: and doing botany
1: plants and clips the top of the (laughs) people love that stuff um and so
2: yeah and there's farmers all i'm sure all over the world that really love what they do yeah um so yeah
4: Next is, what do you think will be the emerging careers or industries that we will see coming up in the next few decades? And do you think it would be wise to go to university and pursue a degree in one of these areas because of the predicted growth of the industry?
2: So this is an area where I suspect you and I are not the best people to ask. There's futurists that are Mm -hmm. better positioned than us. I've read some of them. I'll try to recall. But what I would say is look at um, Peter Diamandis, Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen Kotler, we had him on. He talked about some of this stuff and
1: it's your ai
2: I was your nanotech say mine
1: so tro- it's it's a tro- ai, it's AI and nanotech
2: vr uh, what i would suggest and i think implicit in your question is uh, that you want to make money but yeah, I, I, would, just, I would i would i would re- i would reorient you towards there's so much cool shit's happening do you want to go build the matrix but not the one that's dystopian with machines but the yeah, one yeah. where you're superman flying <laughs> like yeah, yeah. go do that do you want to help little robots cut cancerous tumors out from the inside of people's
1: bodies and then like and also by the way if your only pursuit is money if you let's say there's ai there's vr there's nanobots there's all this stuff cloning CRISPR, and you do have an interest in one but you say you know what this other one is going to grow to be a bigger industry you will be far less successful because you forced yourself into something you're not interested in you're Mm. you're just going to get your lunch eaten by the guy who picked it because he is fascinated by it you know what i mean so i would say If you're interested in futurism at all, pick the one that truly fascinates you. Our friend, for no reason except for that he loves it, is taking night classes in AI, teaching himself how to code. He got a leave of absence from his job to go full-time studying it. If you're not interested in AI, he's going to beat you up Mm. in the capitalist society. So I would say even selfishly, even though it's not the reason to do it, pick the one that will fascinate you, that will keep you up at night, that you'll want to study. And, uh, And if it's none of them, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't just pick something cuz the industry is going to blossom. Yeah, this question with the
2: last makes me think that we've had a cultural failure whereby so many people want to do Instagram and not so many want to build AI hmm? or like it's a, that's so much cooler. I think for anybody who sat to think about what it means. It's so much cooler. Now you don't get as famous, but if you got equally
1: as famous from well, this is the problem. TikTok and, they say, and they say if you want to get smart people to do something that's not in their best interest to bait the hook with yeah. prestige. I fell for this. Dude, I thought Albert Einstein was fascinating at six years old. Yeah. I bought a biography that I couldn't possibly read because it was <laughs> so complicated. Special it relativity. Like college, college level uh, physics to understand it. But I just was like, oh my God, amazing. Albert Einstein, coolest guy ever. I'm going to make a time machine. And then I get to college. And at that point, I kind of been burned out by how complicated the math is. So like, OK, I'm going to do philosophy. I'm going to be a writer. And everyone in the college, like the most prestigious part of our university, is the Wharton School of Business. Mm-hmm. Literally, the only reason I transferred in, mm-hmm. and that's and that set me on my path to be an investment banker, to be a private equity, and then eventually I escaped. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's it's so I, all I'm saying is I don't I don't judge you, I don't begrudge you your questions. I did this. That's mm-hmm. that's where I want to start with. But in hindsight, you'd love. For people like that to stick with physics <laughs> to well, stick with what they're passionate about before they get told what is going to get them high fives from their community the breakdown that you kind of said quickly was in high school actually though
2: it was in middle school and high school where they made it completely unfun mm-hmm. to be involved in physics yeah yeah like horrible to be involved in any of that now at some point there is the unfun work of the math uh i liked that, math too. dude It becomes it was just presented in a way that I think is far worse than it needs to be. It was so dry. It's it's can be super cool to understand the way that stuff happens in the universe. And it was not. And I remember I had one teacher in 11th grade or was it 12th grade? That was great and like reignited my interest in physics. But at that point, I'd already dropped
1: down from the honors to the level below because I was was just like, screw this. If I was doing formulas to track. Because I was work trying to program, not even build a machine, program a machine that was going to shoot basketballs Mm -hmm. into a hoop, and whoever got the most shots in had a prize or something, or even just a celebration. I would have maybe been motivated to do the math. Yeah. But to do the math, to get to a number that I hand into a teacher who scores it out of ten and hands it back to me, I'm like, I don't give a fuck about this. This isn't fun. This this is so removed from reality at this Mm -hmm. point. You know what I mean? Well, the.
2: Again, I brought it up because I'm super into it, but the book talks about a school. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, okay, what are our presuppositions about school? The children hate learning, that if they're talking, they're not learning, that the best way to do it is in rows, that the, the, that the most comparable thing about kids is the year that they were born, not their interests, not their level of development, none of that. Uh, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, is that really what you think of kids? That they don't want to learn? That they can't learn while talking? That they can't learn from one another? I mean, the truth of school is if I look back on it, it teaches you. I mean, I've got none of the math from high school. Mm-hmm. I've got the books that I skipped. I love reading. I cliff notes my way through
1: the English curriculum yeah, because every book sucked. Dude, I voluntarily, <laughs> when I was a kid, would go watch Shakespeare plays and then I would, I would spark notes when we got assigned Shakespeare. Yeah. This is something I was paying to go watch. And they're like, hey, read this. I was like, nah. Yeah. It is And
2: it's, and I understand and I don't mean to, um, the organizations that we have now served a purpose, but it's time to move on. Yeah, uh, and and at least in in some way, but they're doing it. Sal Khan has the Khan Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're finding that what do you know? Kids love reading, love learning, are fascinated by science in the natural world. I love animals. Want to know everything? I was so freaking into animals, dude. I had every action figure, every animal, everything I knew. There, I knew all the names. I've since forgotten of all the different sea creatures. Uh, man they suck the love of learning yeah. right out of you and it doesn't have to be that way so we actually had someone and this is uh why i'd like this idea of this organization i was started talking to people at different levels and i spoke to one of our video editors i had no idea she is trying to create a curriculum for kids in the juvenile detention system mm-hmm. that makes finances budgeting basic life skills interesting and available to them and she's trying to do it in a interactive video game format Mm. now she's early along but she's working with uh she's 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 doing it on her own and so anyway it's like wow if we can make our organization somehow support and help her Mm. not not me take it over that's still top down that's still like help her do it support her so that she can help those kids and that those kids it it seems like just a uh that, that the bottom-up way and trusting the people on the front lines, meaning the kids in the classroom, the people on the factory line, it, that that much of the world is ready for that revolution now. Mm-hmm. Not everywhere. Not everywhere. There's somewhere where you need tribal authority to get things in order. And that's why you can't go spreading uh, democracy yeah. <laughs> around
1: the world like a lunatic because it doesn't work without cultural structures. Yeah. But and sometimes it gets a president you don't like and then you have to send the cia and then in. you have to send the cia into un- undemocracy. sorry <laughs> you guys, try to demo- we, we wanted you guys to be a democracy but we don't like the way you voted so try again um but yeah so
2: i forget what the question
1: was we <laughs> nailed it <though. laughs> the you question the question was like seven minutes ago cool we went astray all right next is uh I've been into
4: self development for several years now, and I've improved a lot. However, I still feel unconfident deep inside.
2: What should I do to change this deep inside? So I'm gonna presume we talked about the two mountains that you have made strides in the first mountain, which is to say, pick your topic. You've learned your instrument, put on that muscle weight, perform better athletically. gotten comfortable talking to the opposite gotten sex gotten comfortable talking to the opposite sex and not comfortable just like it it goes well even if deep down you don't feel it. so if that's not the case pick a handful of first mountain things which are like concrete achievable behaviors yeah, learn an instrument get in shape get in shape get more charismatic and and get wins mm-hmm. i think it's important um sorry when
1: charlie says what do you mean when you say get wins
2: i mean learn the instrument mm-hmm. and uh perform for someone having like a Oh wow! I didn't know you could do that. Right.
1: You uh get if you're terribly out of shape,
2: get into shape to the point where people remark and go, "Oh wow, you you look better. Have you been working out?" Like those little things are, I do think, oftentimes a very important step of like, "Oh, I had, I wasn't there. I set a goal. I took steps. Mm -hmm. I saw results." It's very, very important. Yeah. If you haven't done that, do that. If you have and you're like, "No, I've I've like made the business work. I've done this," but something's not right, then you're on mountain Mm two, which is Uh, check out our emotional mastery course and or psychedelics and or therapy or breath work uh, or those inside out things Mm -hmm. Um, and we've answered similar questions a lot but uh, if you'd like to to ask for a specific recommendation based on your situation write in again but that would be my broad one
1: yeah if you can afford it i think our emotional mastery program is amazing justin will put a link to it in the description if not six pillars of self-esteem is a good place to start mm-hmm. especially if you to charlie's point your external world would have one think your confidence should be higher yeah and and six pillars is kind of like mountain one-ish still but that's it's still a very good book for for anybody I think. so yeah i'm just saying if the guy can't afford 99 dollars a yep. month then the book is yep 20 or whatever correct Last one is you have a lot of content
4: catering to a vast amount of personality traits, but as an individual who watches almost all your videos, how can I figure out which few would suit me? Is there any method to choose which Mm. videos we can we can best watch uh, to make the most of it and be the best version of ourselves?
1: Yeah, great question. I personally would say what what do you want to be like? Who Mm -hmm. interests you? You know, if I wanted to be so like personally again, no knock to him. Like Robert Downey Jr. is amazingly charismatic. Everyone loves him. I find myself more drawn to wanting to be someone like Chris Pratt. So I would watch the Chris Pratt video, Mm -hmm. uh, Chris Hemsworth. So like, I'd say, who do you see? Bill, we might do a video on Bill Burr. I think Bill Burr is hilarious, but I would not necessarily want to be him. You know, Mm -hmm. I think he has anger that he's worked through and uh, publicly said he's worked through. And I don't necessarily want my humor to become his because I think when your humor is Bill Burr's humor, you have to adopt Bill Burr's mindset, which is generally being outraged by things. So yeah, I would say who do you want to be like, and then go through the catalog of our videos and find their image where mm-hmm. people like them.
3: Yeah,
2: maybe we can make some playlists. Um, we we have talked about charisma types. You could check out a video. I forget what it's called. Five types of charisma. I think if you just write charisma on command, charisma, charisma types, types. You might you might want to check that out. Um, and we do talk about it. And there's there are, all of them are great. They can all work. They all have uh, slightly different ways. You've got like Oprah Winfrey is not going to connect with someone like Conor McGregor does. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a different feeling. Well, Oprah is the... going to make you cry. Connor's going to make you respect him.
1: But they all have, to our point, no one is going to like all of them, but they all have mm-hmm. great reactions from the outside world. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't think there's a hierarchy of them. It's no. really just like, no. do you want to be the cool, aloof guy? Do you want to be the laughs all the time, smiley guy? Do you want to be the make eye contact and connect with people deeply Oprah type? Like what? What would make you happy based on your desire? You know, how do you want to carry yourself in the world? That would be the question I would ask myself. Yep. Very good.
4: That's it for normal questions.
1: Dope. Who's your person or group of people that you're like? I love Chris Pratt. Yeah. He's great. Uh,
2: Chris Pratt. Who else have we done? I like Chris Evans a lot too. Mm-hmm. He's he's the most underrated for me. It's funny oh, yeah. that, that he gets so overlooked, but oh, you can't do it. Chris Hemsworth is great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, all the chrises are are dope in that in that series and then similarly to you i i don't aspire to the robert downey mm-hmm. uh cool. like
1: cool don draper
2: don draper cool uh just like wow that's a badass and like what what an amazing cutting remark that he made as yeah, he yeah. left the room i i like the other the the humorous friendly guys
1: yeah me
2: too. Cool. But everyone, thank you so much. And I just want to say we often ask people to join Patreon, but thank you to our patrons who I know many of you have made it this far. Mm. Uh, you're, you're helping Justin get yeah. out of the hood. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you'd like to join the Patreon, that's, of course, in the description, emotional mastery, all that stuff. But that's it for today. All right. Also, guys, hopping back in here because I had the opportunity to ask a handful of questions of Sadhguru, who is a mystic. He's an Indian mystic. He runs the Isha Foundation, which is super cool. So I asked him a handful of questions. He came back because he is traveling with those answers and we have those for you here now. I hope that you enjoy them.
3: Hey Isha Foundation
2: and Sadhguru, thank you so much for the chance to ask you a few questions. So I have a YouTube channel. We talk about how to be more charismatic and confident, how to be a better leader. So I have three questions for you, two from my audience, one from me. And the first one has to do with your foundation. So Obviously you've got tons of people all around the world, basically a volunteer army that is running and managing this organization. And I'm curious, what do you think has drawn so many people to you? Now obviously there's a spiritual component, but it also seems that the way that maybe you tell stories or the joy that you seem to radiate has drawn people to you. So for lots of people out there in my audience who might be interested in being a bit more magnetic in their personality, I'm curious if there's any specifics that you could share that would help them with
5: that. (laughs) Karam <laughs> about, say uh, see, uh, there are many people who achieve many things in their lives, many great people. So, people can stand away from them and walk at them maybe see them as an aspiration for their own lives. But when it comes to me, I'm not a, a great person in this world in any way. It's just that when people are with me, they feel great. I always saw that that's more important than me being great. So I'm as ordinary as it comes, nothing special, very ordinary, but making sure when people are in touch with me, they feel great. Maybe that's the key, why people are drawn, all sorts of people, young people, old people, every kind, because it's not just those people who consider themselves uh, holier-than-thou kind of spiritual seekers who come to me, every sort of human being is drawn because I make sure they feel great when they're with me. The second
2: question also has to do with the organization. Obviously, it's huge, it's sprawling, it's all around the world, and like I said, it's a volunteer organization. So I'm wondering how involved you are with the logistics of the organization, or if you've been able to attract people that can manage it, because I run a small business and it seems very challenging just to get ten or so people who are being paid all moving in the same direction. To have thousands and thousands of volunteers, I'm curious, organizationally, is there a person that you've drawn to you that's able to do that? Is it just a hands-off approach and everything sort of works out, or do you find that you have to almost run it a bit like a corporation? I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in the line that you have drawn in terms of how to get such a large organization functioning so smoothly?
5: Well, <laughs> there's millions of volunteers and thousands of thousands of things to manage on a daily basis. It's just that I've ensured that people are sufficiently inspired and they will do their best. They may not be doing the best, but they're doing their best. And that's all that matters to me. I don't demand anything more, it's just that, you must be full on. Well, what you're doing, uh, there may be somebody else who can do it better, it doesn't matter. But you're doing your best, that's all that matters to me, and whatever you're doing, It must mean something to you, you must show absolute involvement. This is all I look for, no great qualifications. Because life needs involvement, not qualifications. The only way to experience life, to know life, is with absolute involvement and uh, in being involved, One will see life's experience becomes profound and that's what makes people be a part of the foundation. And there are also tools, very powerful tools for self-transformation and that definitely is the key. I must tell you this, uh, I was conducting a, a... A two-day retreat for the top 25 executives of a multinational company, a very large, which has a very large presence in the world. I had nine volunteers uh, and they were doing whatever they were doing, our volunteers are all full on, always. And uh, after a day, these executives looked at the way they were functioning and said, Sadhguru, where do you get such people? <laughs> uh, because, you know, they're always looking for attrition. <laughs> I said, you don't get such people, you got to make them. They asked, how do you make them? I said, uh, you must make them fall in love with you. They said, how do you do that? I said, first you must fall in love with them then they say, oh, they don't pay us for that. (laughs) So this is not work, this is a love affair. So it goes on. Well, (laughs) it has its ups and downs, but because it's a love affair, you know, all is fair in love and war, so this is love.
2: And then the third question is actually one that I have personally, and it has to do with giving. So I have had experiences where giving is very joyous and I like it, but a lot of the time I feel like when I'm being charitable or doing what I know is right in any given moment, it's not always fun for me. So I'm wondering if you have any advice to get more into the spirit of giving, such that it's a joyous, fun act rather than something feels like a moral obligation or
5: a chore. about giving? What is there to give? Everything that we have, including every cell in this body, we have taken from this planet. Well, because we can't take it and go somewhere, whatever we have, it's wise to share. Let's not make a big deal about sharing what we have gathered. None of us came with anything in our hands, so we only have taken what we have taken. It's wise to share, it's human to share. Let's not make too much out of giving, 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 as if we are giving something. No, we are not giving nothing. We have taken, it's good to share, if you share, ah, your life will be beautiful. Somebody else's life may be a little comfortable. That's great. Thank you very much.
2: Also, if any of you out there are interested in taking a deeper look into some of our courses, I highly recommend checking out Charisma University. Charisma University is a step-by-step curriculum with a daily action guide, so there's no guesswork when it comes to learning the charisma habits. You just follow the guide, and you get the results in 30 days. There's also a 60-day refund period for any reason, which means that you can really decide if the course is worth it to you, and the best way to describe the course is just to let the members speak for themselves. The first one comes from a guy who got promoted to a senior position early in his career, and he says, I don't even have a bachelor diploma, yet they want me to fill this position, and when asked why, this was the answer. You have great social skills skills, which is rare for an engineer. You can think quick on your feet and you are open and self-assured in your demeanor. Thank you so much for all that you've taught me. You have truly changed my life because without CU, I wouldn't have qualified for that position in a million lifetimes." Now this next one comes from another person who started a new job saying, "'I wanted to let you know that I nailed those first days at work. Everything that I needed was right there at the right moment—the confidence, the energy, the smile, the positive mindset, and all with your tips from last Tuesday in mind, it could just not Go wrong. And he finishes by saying, I just wanted to emphasize that what I did the previous days would not even have come to my mind if I had not discovered that charisma is a skill that can be learned thanks to your YouTube channel and university program." And this last one is a comment in the course from someone who used it mainly to improve their social and dating life and he says, Life-changing. In six weeks, I went from being socially awkward with few friends to the life of every event I attend. I also went from having serious girl problems to dating the girl of my dreams. Charisma University transformed me from a lonely introvert hoping to better connect with people to an energy-filled extrovert who makes new friends everywhere I go. And there are more success stories just like those in the comments if you decide to join the course.